Hello. Hello. I have a list of words that I want you to think about. Actually, John wants you to think about them. Identity, uniqueness, distinctiveness, significance. God sees in you what others cannot see. Others see you from the outside. They judge you by the way you look or who your friends are or what kind of job you have. But God looks at your heart. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What does your heart look like? What does God see as he looks at your heart? Will he see unity? Because we were never meant to be alone. get started this morning on a series about unity, I want to do something a little bit different. So, spoiler alert, you're about to become uncomfortable. But I'm okay with that. Rick's okay if you become uncomfortable too. That was my miscue, by the way. I was excited for him to share what he had to share, and I was like, as soon as they're done with communion, come on up and just go right into it. And I forgot we had another song. (laughs) But that was my one mistake for the week. Maybe not. (laughs) And it's early. Do me a favor. If you've struggled with something the past seven or eight days, stand up. So glad that happened. (laughs) I had this fear that nobody was going to stand up. I'm going to be the only one. If, If somebody said something to you this week that was less than average called you a name, told you you had no value, said, just, you you pick it. If if you had one of those moments maybe where someone kind of came at you and you weren't expecting it, maybe it was your boss, they walked in and, you know, you know what you put in this report? What's wrong with you? I I don't know. It could have been something like that. Um, Anybody in the last two weeks, if you were sick or just a little under the weather, not even 100%, surgery, um, not feeling well, whatever it was. Maybe you're already standing, that's okay. Um, but here's the thing. This month, we're going to look, as we look at our foundations, we're going to look and really focus in on Jesus' prayer for unity. I want you all to look around right now, okay? Um, you're in good company. A majority of you are standing. You're just as messed up as your preacher. Uh <laughs> Now everybody's going, no, I'm sitting down. What I want, the reason I bring that up is because no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter where you are in life right now, good, bad, or indifferent, you were never meant to be alone. And if you get nothing else out of this message today, understand, Jesus had a prayer about unity. And we're going to talk about all those things that Rick mentioned this month. But, but Jesus had a prayer for unity in the church because we were never meant to be alone. Y'all can go ahead and, and sit down. Why should we desire unity with other Christians, with our brothers and sisters in Christ? You see, the problem with unity is we like to be independent. And I've often said of the, the quote-unquote independent Christian church that sometimes we're too independent for our own good. 
Sometimes as, as Christians, we're too independent for our own good. We want to be unique as people. We want to be our own person. We want to have our own identity. And it seems that the more we try to separate ourselves from others, maybe in search of who we really are or what we're called to be or do, the more we try to create a unique or individualistic identity for ourselves. And our, and our, our young adults here can tell you that because they just came out of that phase. It was called junior high and high school. Okay? I have to be an individual. I have to be unique. And yet they all look alike. No offense to the high schoolers in the room. But we try to build, we try to do this, but, but the problem is the more sometimes we try to be an individual, the more we try to have our own individual identity, the more we really look like everyone else. If you remember the movie The Incredibles, Syndrome, the bad guy, he, he made all these gadgets so that he could be a superhero, and the thing he kept saying was like, when everybody is super, no one is. See, that, that happens with identity. We, we try to carve out this niche of, of uniqueness, and sometimes we just, uh, well, we don't, we don't end up being so unique as we thought. But what I want you to understand today is this. As you create your identity, you will eventually reflect one of two things. You will build your identity on the foundational ideals of the world, or you will build your identity on the foundational truths of God's Word. It would be one or the other. It's what you build on. It's your foundation that will eventually show the world who you have chosen to build on. Your foundation is actually what your identity is wrapped up in. So what do you look like? What do you look like? Do you look like the world? Or do you look like Christ? What does your heart look like? Better yet, what does God see as he looks at your heart? Will he see someone trying to make it through this world alone? Or will he see someone that believes their identity is wrapped up in his call for unity because we were never meant to be alone? Will you pray with me? Father God, this morning I know there's a lot going on in our lives. There are a lot of things that we've brought in here with us this morning. And, and Lord, I just ask that we can leave them here with you. Lord, I pray that as we look through your word, as we look at John 17 today, that we will find our identity in your son We'll choose to build our foundation on your truths. And I pray that we will seek unity. That through seeking unity, we'll honor you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to jump right into John chapter 17. Um, Jesus is talking to God, in case you're wondering. And, and he says some really neat things in these next few verses. And he starts out, he says, And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves, he's talking about his disciples, they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas there. And he goes on, he says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have, may, they have, they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the, word, the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, he goes on, 
He said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And he says in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 24 says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I've made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So why does Jesus pray this prayer? Why does he have this call for unity? Well, he answers it in his own prayer. A couple of the things he refers to in the verses I just read were so that the world may believe that God sent him and loved them, even as you have loved me, he says. He calls for unity so that they may be where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. He wants us to see what God's prepared for us. He wants us to spend eternity with him. He asked God to bless them with unity because we were never meant to be alone. When, when he sent them out, how did he send them? Yeah, two by two. He never told his disciples, when you go out, just, just grab your stuff and head out on your own. No. He said, you grab your stuff, you grab a buddy. It's like Toy Story. Everybody got your moving buddy? Get together. You don't want to get lost. This is a big world. When you head out into it, you take somebody with you. Why? For accountability. To keep you from stumbling. To help you not embarrass yourself. To help you not embarrass God. So you can work together so that the world may know that God sent Christ for us. They went out in twos. We were never meant to be alone. So the question I have for you today, and, and really throughout this month, is what are you willing to do about the information I just gave you? What are you going to do with it? See, especially when you look at your identity. It's either found in, the, in Christ or it's found in the world. What does the world tell you? Men, what does the world say to you? We don't, we don't need anybody. Hey, just, just dust yourself off and stand up strong. You're, you're a man. You don't need to show emotion. You don't, need to, you don't need to ask for help. You don't need that. You're a man. You don't need the help of the people around you. Yes, you do. You were not meant to be alone. I don't care what you're going through. You're not meant to be alone. What are you willing to do about it? You see, the, the problem here, if you will, the, the, the struggle...
is if you claim that your identity is found in Christ, then you need to know that you have a responsibility to do something with that identity. If your identity is in Christ, it calls you to action. And that action is really what our mission statement at Huntsville Christian Church is all about. If your identity is in Christ, you should understand when, commit, grow, and go. If you don't identify with Christ, then you're not going to go out and love on lost people. You're not going to love them enough to invite them into a winning relationship with Jesus Christ. If, if you don't identify with Christ, then you won't challenge anyone to commit their life to living for Him and to identifying with Him as well. If you don't identify with Christ, then you won't encourage others to grow in Him and His Word. If you don't identify with Christ, you won't see the value of going and telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ. But if you do identify with Christ, then you need to get in here and you need to get out there and tell people that Jesus is crazy about them. That, that's your intro right there. You don't have to tell them, oh, I was, I was reading through the Old Testament. And you don't have to do all that. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You go out and say, hey, just so you know, Jesus is crazy about you. How do I know? Because of this prayer I just shared with you in John 17. He's on his way to die for our sins, and he pauses to have this prayer for us. He's crazy about you. You need to tell people that. You, if you want people to invite them to church, invite them to your CPR group, invite them to men's and women's Bible study, invite them to Wednesday morning Bible study, invite them to Fusion Youth Group so they can hear more about this God who is crazy about them. Let people know what you know. Well, I don't have the Bible memorized. Hey, neither do I. Well, I have an iPad. But I can highlight the important stuff. You don't have to have it memorized. But you can still hide it in your heart. Well, what about the people that I may not like? True. We have those people in our lives, do we not? They're at work. They're at school. They're, they're in life. What about those people? Maybe you think you don't have any com anything in common with those people. But just because you don't see something good in them, because you don't get along with them, doesn't mean that, that God doesn't. Remember, God can see in them what others can't. And he sees in others what you can't see. God may be nudging you to talk to somebody right now at work, and you're just like, oh no, God, you know this person? You know what they do? They're not going to listen. It, see, we're only human. We can only see people from the outside. And so what do we do? We judge people by the way they look or the way they talk or who their friends are or what kind of job they have or, or maybe what they did to get to that job or that promotion, but not God. He's not concerned with those things. Our God looks at your heart. And we know this is true because of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Do you know this story in 1 Samuel it's about when Samuel went out to anoint King David. And, and the story goes like this. Actually, in, in verse 15, uh, God told Samuel, hey, I'm mad at Saul. I'm actually sorry that I made him king. He's done some selfish things. And you're going to go now in chapter 16, you're going to go and you're going to anoint a new king. And you know what Samuel says to God? He says, if I go do that, then Saul may have me killed, which I think is funny because God is saying to Samuel, I want you to go do this. And so God's saying this, but Samuel's saying to God, 
but you know who, who I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to make Saul upset because he's the king. And God says, hey, don't worry about it. You go down, go into Jerusalem, take a heifer with you, and when you get to the city gate, you tell him, I come in peace, I come to, to worship God, I come to make a sacrifice. He said, while you're doing that, you tell the elders, and Jesse, David's dad, was one of the elders, said, you tell him, go get ready. And so that's what he did. He comes walking in. The Bible says the elders were a little skittish. And he comes walking in with a head. Whoa, hey. Everything okay? Everything all right, Samuel? Yeah, I'm here to worship God. I want to present an offering. Y'all go get ready. Go, go uh, cleanse yourselves. Prepare yourself for this worship time. And so they do. And he says to Jesse, bring out your sons. And he brings out his oldest son. And Samuel said, boy, that's a strapping young man right there. He, he is definitely kingly material. And God said, uh, hey, Samuel, yeah, that's not him. Are you sure he's the oldest? That's, that's Old Testament. We learned that in, in our class today. The Old Testament right. There's a big word for it that I forgot already. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, but it means the oldest gets it all. <laughs> God said, that's not him. They called in his second son. Same thing. God said, Samuel, that's not him. Brought in his third son. Again, that's not him. All the way down to the last son that was there. God said, that's not him. And uh, Samuel said, hey, Jesse, you have another son? I love the response. Jesse's like, yeah, but he's kind of the runt. <laughs> he's, he's out. He's out with the sheep and the goats. Now, you may think, well, why would a father say that? Well, first off, you go back to the beginning of this. Samuel, he comes walking into town with his heifer, and he's going to sacrifice. He says, y'all go get cleaned up. Go, go purify yourselves for worship. And he goes through the sons who have cleansed themselves for worship, but the one that God wants isn't there. And so he says, hey, do you have another one? And, and Jesse's like, yeah, yeah, but he, he's not prepped up. He's out in the field with the sheep and the goats, and he, he, he's the youngest. He, he surely he can't matter and, Samuel says, hey, we're not going to sit down. We're not going to eat. We're not doing anything until he's standing before me. And so they went out and they bring David in from the field, not by way of the, the preparation tent or, or whatever they need to do, but they bring him straight in before Samuel. And God says, oh, yeah, that's him. That's my guy. And the cool thing about this is, as, as I think kind of about this story, is the Bible actually says that when David showed up, it, he was ruddy and handsome, clear eyes. See, God said, that's my guy. Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. And that was in reference to the oldest son. Because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees. God looks, or for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. We look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when you walk into your office tomorrow morning, when you walk into school, when you go wherever it is you're going to go to start your official work week, or your retired week and you're going to the coffee shop or the diner, wherever it is you're going tomorrow morning, look around and say, is that the one, Lord? Because I guarantee you there's somebody that your path is going to cross with because God needs you to tell them, hey, 
my son Jesus is crazy about you. And it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they smell like. It doesn't matter how they're dressed. Don't look at the outward appearance any longer because the reality is most of the people that you interact with in this next week are not going to look nearly as good as I do. You just have to embrace that. Okay? You just have to. It's my cross to bear. I can't help it. But don't look at the outward appearance. So I ask you again, what does your heart look like? You see, God saw in David a man who was after God's own heart. Young, no account, ruddy, out with the sheep and goats, David. God said, that guy is after my heart. What does God see as he looks at your heart? Will he see that, that your identity is in his son? Or when he looks at your heart, will he see that your identity is in the world? Will he see unity in your heart because we were never meant to be alone? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-10 through 10 tells us that what should happen when we seek to identify with Christ, when we seek to connect with one another in unity because of Christ, this is what should be an outcome of that. This is what should happen. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander... Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the world of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, and coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Re remember, Christ was rejected by the spiritual leaders, by all the, the people of knowledge and spiritual power. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Oh, man. Let me tell you, if you're waking up every day of your life and, you're, and you've got a feeling of disappointment, you're believing in the wrong thing. Because no matter what you're going through, when we wake up identifying with Christ, we have hope. We have peace. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. And verse 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once, you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And because of this, your identity should be in Jesus Christ and not in the world. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession 
so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. Listen, there is no singular form used here in those words that I just described you as. Do you understand that, Christian? There, there were no singular words. We are called to unity because our identity should be found only in Jesus Christ. And we were never meant to be alone. We are a chosen race. Race is more than one person. We are a royal priesthood. Not a royal priest, a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession. Not a person. You're not a person. We are a people for God's own possession. Why? So that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Real quick. If you have been called out of darkness, stand up. If you were once a sinner, you're still a sinner, but you've been called out of darkness. Everybody in this room should be standing. You have been called out of darkness. Jesus loved you then. He loved you steeped in sin. But he's also called you out of it. Don't stay there. Don't get comfortable in that darkness because you are called to shine his light. You can sit back down. It's like spiritual calisthenics today. We do some up and downs. You are called out so you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. And you know what? You're never meant to do it alone. You're never meant to struggle alone. You're never meant to allow the world to beat up on you alone. I would like for you all to just take a few moments and gather your thoughts for a second. I want you to think about what it means to be isolated. Have you ever been like this person? Have you ever been isolated? Have you ever been alone? Have you ever been injured? Have you ever really struggled with where your identity was? To not realize your influence? Those are the things that we're going to be talking about this month in the context of unity. Something I want you to understand. The Bible tells us that that Satan goes around like a lion seeking to devour. And I don't know what you know about lions, but I used to train lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. When, when lions hunt, they seclude the one person in the flock, the one animal in the flock, maybe younger, maybe older, maybe weaker, maybe sick, maybe distracted by something. And they cut that one out of the whole herd. They cut one out. And when that one wildebeest, that one zebra, that one whatever is all alone, it has no defense. I've seen videos of, of male lions taking down a full-grown elephant. Four male lions taking down a full-grown elephant. Why? Because they got him away from the herd. And even something as big as an elephant, tusks and strength and all that stuff, away from the herd, was ultimately defenseless. That's what Satan does. He separates you from the pack, if you will, from the herd, from your family. He separates you from, well, we're a strange herd. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no offense. That's what he, he cuts us out of the herd. And he starts beating up on us. 
You're never meant to be alone. When you think about, and we're going to talk about this more next week, isolation and injury, and, and we're going to talk about our influence this month. When we're isolated, we don't allow these things in our lives. We don't allow things in our lives like accountability when we allow ourselves to be isolated from brothers and sisters in Christ and from family. We live a life devoid of real relationship when we allow ourselves to be isolated. We, we aren't the way we're supposed to be. We, we tend to become a shadow of ourselves when, we, when we're isolated. No one gets to know who we are. No one uh, wants to help us deal with things or, or, or know what injuries we have because we keep it all close. I can't tell you I'm hurt. You'll think less of me. No, I'll think more of you when you stand up and say, Hey, John, I'm broken right now. I'm hurt. I'll be like, good. Let's struggle with that together. Let's pray about it. Let's find strength in it. We aren't the way we're supposed to be sometimes. Take a few moments and consider the ways in which you've allowed yourself to be isolated from other people. Maybe from your parents, from your brothers or sisters, from your family, from your church. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I want you to consider what's kept you from being as close to God as you could be. Selfishness, greed, pride, lust, hatred, jealousy, apathy, laziness, all of these things and others like them can be summed up in one word, sin. Satan wants us to get distracted by our sin. He wants us to identify with our sin so we can't identify with our Savior. That's what Satan likes to do. And when we get off by ourselves, we, we allow that to happen. But what's been done to deal with our sin? 1 Peter 2.24 talks about that. It tells us that, talking about Jesus, says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. 1 Corinthians 15.3-4 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. It doesn't get picky here. That's sin with a capital S. Christ died for all of our sins according to the Scripture, and He was buried, and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. John 1.9 tells us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, He will forgive. What do you need to confess? What are you clinging to? What is keeping you from confessing that sin? 1 Peter 5, 5-6 says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. That means when someone does come to you and confesses something, you don't put them down. You don't drag them through the mud. You pick them up and you help clean them up. And we help them through that together. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. 
I want to encourage you as we get ready for our response time to take some time right now and thank God for the relationships that you have. Thank God for being faithful to forgive us. As we come to our worship time, I want to encourage you to worship the God who rescues you from isolation. Give praise to the God who gives you a new identity and a new life in Him. Because when our identity is in Christ and we connect with His people, we'll never be alone. He prayed for unity because we were never meant to be alone. Now you can choose to go through life alone. You can choose to identify with the world or you can choose to identify with Christ and respond to His love, His mercy, His grace and connect with His people. Maybe for you, in order to do that, you'd like to talk with the elders and pray about what that would look like for you in your life. They're here. The elders would love to come and pray with you this morning. Maybe for you, your first step in identifying with Christ is to submit, is to submit to Him through baptism for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptistry is ready. But whatever your response is to God's Word this morning, will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond to Him accordingly? great to be here with you all this morning to worship to share God's word with you but now it's time to go as you go this week remember where your identity lies if your identity is in Christ as you go go looking for someone that you can connect with so that you can win them to Christ go praying that you can come that you can be the connection point that helps someone commit to living their life for him go knowing that if your identity is in Christ then you as a Christian are called by Christ to help others grow in Him. Go knowing that if your identity is in Christ, then He commands you to go. Go into your neighborhood, go into your school, go to your job, go into all the world, sharing with others about Him so that all may have their identity in Him because we were never meant to be alone. Will you sing this last song with us?